Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Alan Fine, the podcast editor of the Annals of the American Thoracic Society. And today we have the great pleasure of talking with Dr. Eddie Fan from the University of Toronto, who's going to discuss an old and uh, I would say also emerging modality for the treatment of acute respiratory failure. The article, Extracorporeal Life Support for Acute Respiratory Failure, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis, will be published in the annals and opens up a, a number of uh, possibilities. The uh, use of ECMO really uh, has been around for quite a long time. I remember great interest and enthusiasm around ECMO for ARDS when I began my fellowship in the 1970s, and uh, we were all hoping that extracorporeal membrane oxygenation would be an answer for the very uh, severe respiratory consequences of ARDS. But with each burst of enthusiasm has come some disappointment. And I would say that ECMO, while in use around the world, is not pervasively available and is uh, confined to, for the most part, a number of specialty centers. So um, I hope after we talk with Dr. Fan, we'll have a better idea about what the future of ECMO would be. So my first question to Eddie is, how would you characterize ECMO modalities? Does it really matter which are used? And how should clinicians look at the differences in these modalities? So thank you for the question. Really, when you're talking about ECMO for adult patients with severe ARDS, there are really two main types of ECMO modalities or configurations that are considered. One is venovenous or VV ECMO, and one is venoarterial or VA ECMO. The configurations are named the way they are because they describe the location of the drainage and return cannula for the extracorporeal circuit. So, for instance, in venovenous ECMO, blood, as the name implies, is drained from a very large vein, such as the femoral vein, and it's returned after the gases have been exchanged in the oxygenator to a large vein, for instance, the internal jugular vein. There are some newer dual-lumen bicable cannulas, which are much like very large dialysis catheters, that are available for use in venovenous ECMO. And these are typically placed in the right internal jugular vein. They have a number of ports. Two are for drainage, one situated in the superior vena cava and one in the inferior vena cava. And then in the middle, there's a return port where the oxygenated blood is delivered in the right atrium directed across the tricuspid valve. For venoarterial ECMO, blood, as again the name implies, is drained from a large vein, such as the femoral vein, and then returned to an artery, such as the femoral artery. Importantly, in the vast majority of patients with severe ARDS, venovenous or VV ECMO is really the configuration of choice because this configuration provides gas exchange support only, and that's typically the indication for the use of ECMO in these patients. Only a very small number of patients, I would say, who have very severe concomitant cardiac failure, LV dysfunction, or frank cardiogenic shock, as well as um, refractory hypoxemia, would require venoarterial ECMO. So those are the differences in the two uh, modalities. In terms of the outcomes and how things are influenced by the technology, ECMO certainly has become the technology smaller, simpler, and easier to use. The circuits and the cannula are more biocompatible. 
but systemic anticoagulation with heparin typically is still required, and so bleeding represents a very important ongoing risk for these patients who are supported by ECMO. But certainly, uh, as you mentioned, certain centers in the world have become quite expert and experienced the use of ECMO for these patients with severe respiratory failure. And certainly, as time has moved on, the reports of outcomes of patients with severe ARDS supported with venovenous ECMO in particular have been quite promising. I just wanted to uh, ask you about extracorporeal CO2 removal. How does that fit into this whole spectrum of ECMO technology? So it's a great question. Extracorporeal CO2 removal, or ECOR, as it's commonly uh, known as, is on the other end of the spectrum from, if you will, full-blown ECMO that's providing gas exchange support to patients. It's typically an extracorporeal circuit that requires smaller cannula, less anticoagulation, and much lower blood flow rates since what is being accomplished by this kind of technology is just CO2 removal and not oxygenation. And typically, we see, at least in more recent studies, the use of this technology to help facilitate as an adjunctive therapy to mechanical ventilation, more ultra-protective mechanical ventilation with lower tidal volumes than traditionally applied. So if you're thinking about the RDS network trial where six mils per kilo predicted body weight are, are typically targeted, with the adjunctive use of extracorporeal CO2 removal, you might be able to reduce tidal volumes further to the three or four mils per kilo predicted body weight range. This is particularly uh, intriguing in light of some recent data from Johns Hopkins suggesting that there may be a dose response to outcome with the use of lower tidal volumes than six mils per kilo with uh, two-year mortality in patients with ARDS. And there's also been a number of -of proof-of-concept studies suggesting that, again, this technology can help us to reach lower tidal volumes, perhaps with evidence of less ventilator-induced lung injury or morphologic markers of lung damage. So it seems appealing from that point of view. And at the present time, there isn't really a lot of rigorous clinical trial data to help support the routine use of this intervention in ARDS, but there are a number of jurisdictions in the world who are planning clinical trials in this arena and will hopefully help to shed some light on where ECOR or extracorporeal CO2 removal fits in the armamentarium for uh, ARDS. So uh, we have, you know, some great information from Dr. Fan about what the modalities are available, but now I'd like to hear about your, your study. If you could explain some of the methodology and how it addresses the uh, issue of efficacy of ECMO. Our study attempts to address the question regarding efficacy, at least on the outcome of hospital mortality of ECMO through the use of a systematic review and and meta-analysis of the available published literature that looked at or evaluated the use of ECMO in patients with severe acute respiratory failure, which in all intents and purposes represents a population of patients with very severe ARDS. And we used relatively standard methodology for the conduct of a systematic review and subsequent meta-analysis or pooling of the available results from study-level data obtained from our included studies. And as Dr. Fine mentioned, this technology is actually not new. So our electronic literature search actually identified studies dating back to the 1970s all the way to the present. And as a result of this large swath of time with studies all along the way, as you might imagine, the studies that we retrieved and eventually included in our meta-analysis were relatively heterogeneous in the patient populations that were studied and included, the type of ECMO technology that was employed and used, and as well, as you might imagine, the, what we would call usual care that was being provided along the continuum of time for which these studies came from. Not so necessarily related to the timing that the study was conducted or published. There are some studies that had 
uh, more methodologic limitations that needed to be considered, as they are in any systematic review and meta-analysis. And in the end, our electronic search found 10 studies, four randomized controlled trials and six observational studies that included just about 1,300 patients. And again, using relatively standard meta-analysis techniques, we combined these 10 studies with the endpoint of hospital mortality to look at what the effect of ECMO therapy was compared to conventional mechanical ventilation as delivered in these trials in patients with severe ARDS. And what we found was that there really was no significant difference in hospital mortality in patients who received ECMO as compared to those that received conventional mechanical ventilation. And that resulted in a pooled relative risk of 1.02, which again was not statistically significant. And again, at least a priori, having some understanding of the literature, this is not a complete surprise given the heterogeneity of the studies that were eventually included. Let me just back you up a little. So overall, not impacting mortality based on comparison to conventional mechanical ventilation and support, but are there situations where there is a a signal where we might consider ECMO? So perhaps you can uh, give us some of your insights on that area. So we did, as again, with our a prior hypothesis, that there would be a lot of heterogeneity in all the included studies. And again, following a very standard approach to systematic review meta-analysis, we included all of the relevant studies in our main analysis. We did perform a number of sensitivity and subgroup analysis based on hypothesis that there might be a signal, as you mentioned, in certain populations or subgroups or looking at more recent studies that reflect ECMO technology and ARDS management today as opposed to throughout the last 40 or 50 years. And indeed, when we performed a sensitivity analysis looking at patients who were studied and treated mainly with venous ECMO, which again would be the modality of choice for patients with respiratory failure who required gas exchange support only, we found that restricting the analysis, the main analysis, to the three recent studies, that uh, one randomized control trial and two observational studies that used this statistical matching, representing about 500 patients, there actually was a significant reduction in hospital mortality in patients supported with ECMO as compared to mechanical ventilation in these groups of patients. And that led to a relative risk of about 0.064, which was statistically significant. So again, suggesting that when we look at how ECMO therapy is being delivered today in a more modern sense, it seems that perhaps severe ARDS patients may benefit from venovenous ECMO support. However, like any subgroup or sensitivity analysis of a large clinical trial, this also is hypothesis generating and will require confirmation in a larger randomized control trial. What about the H1N1 data? There was a flurry of activity and some observational, you know, well-conducted observational reports that suggested that ECMO might be efficacious in patients with severe influenza pneumonia. And uh, I was wondering if you thought that was specific to viral pneumonia or influenza pneumonia or merely that we employed more modern ECMO technology at the time of the most recent, I believe it was 2009 epidemic. So it likely is a combination of many of those factors that you mentioned. We certainly also in our study in a subgroup analysis found lower mortality in in the group of patients that had H1N1 viral pneumonia. And likely it represents the fact that many of the studies that reported outcomes in H1N1 patients, these typically represented patients who were younger, 
previously healthy, had few comorbid illnesses, and had a very good underlying prognosis no matter what kind of support they received. And so a lot of that benefit is likely driven by the underlying risk of the population that was studied in some of these observational studies. And when you sort of look at the makeup of these study populations, you might speculate that, again, these kinds of patients who are relatively young, they're healthier, they have single organ failure, uh, these are the kinds of patients today that we, many experience centers would be considered uh, good candidates for ECMO therapy if they were developed refractory hypoxemia or severe ARDS despite optimal conventional man- management strategies. We did look a bit further to see if it was something limited to just viral pneumonia. And we did look at the subgroup of patients that were mainly comprised of pneumonia, not necessarily viral infected patients, and we didn't see a signal uh, in the subgroup of patients uh, with pneumonia like we did in the viral pneumonia patients. And again, that might reflect the increased heterogeneity or perhaps sicker patients that made up studies reflecting pneumonia from other etiologies. And finally, the last thing is is that this signal of viral pneumonia seems to be a recurrent theme and a number of uh, additional studies now looking at prognostic scores for patients who get onto ECMO for respiratory failure have repeatedly demonstrated that viral pneumonia represents a relatively good prognosis for patients that get supported with ECMO. I know your your study didn't specifically address this, but uh, ECMO always comes up as a potential for patients with severe pulmonary hypertension or critically ill. Uh, what, what do you think about ECMO for severe pulmonary hypertension with RV failure? So, um, you know, increasing number of studies have demonstrated that a substantial proportion of patients will have severe pulmonary hypertension and concomitant RV failure when they develop severe ARDS that's related to the underlying uh, lung injury. This is actually a more common phenomenon than uh, we probably recognize clinically. And what we found is that most of these patients can often be supported still by venovenous ECMO and that with the correction of their hypoxemia, and the delivery of very highly oxygenated blood to the pulmonary vasculature, as is the case in venovenous ECMO, this leads to quite significant pulmonary vasodilation and substantial improvement in their ARDS-associated RV dysfunction. Certainly in these patients who develop acute core pulmonale or very severe pulmonary hypertension, we find that they can routinely be managed just with venovenous ECMO alone. So we wouldn't feel that the presence of severe RV dysfunction or severe pulmonary hypertension would be a contraindication to the use of ECMO therapy in these patients. And in our center, we would routinely attempt support with venovenous ECMO at the outset and only consider changing their configuration to venoarterial ECMO if significant hemodynamic compromise were ongoing despite correction of their hypoxemia with venovenous ECMO. Now, of course, this is sort of uh, data or recommendation related to patients who develop acute pulmonary hypertension related to an acute process with ARDS. Patients who come with chronic pulmonary hypertension represent a very different cohort of patients. Of course, you know, you need to have very careful consideration of putting any patients who have chronic respiratory conditions and the degree of reversibility. All these things need to be considered before putting these patients onto ECMO therapy because you want to have a very clear bridge to potential recovery and not have a bridge uh, potentially to prolonged therapy with no ability to uh, bridge the patient to a meaningful outcome. I now want to just, you know, ask you to uh, speculate a little bit. Do you think ECMO, uh, which, uh, you know, as we've we've both agreed, has been around for a very long time, there have been improvements in in the technology, the uh, size, the ability to initiate it, but, but should it be available as standard 
therapy for ARDS or, or is your paper once again telling us we have to go back and do another or uh, a few clinical trials? I, I just want to hear what you, you think. Well, I agree that our, our study does not at the present time support the routine use of ECMO for patients with ARDS. As we mentioned, our main analysis demonstrated no significant benefit of ECMO support for patients with ARDS. But again, there is tantalizing signal, perhaps in those patients who are receiving more modern ECMO support, more modern ARDS therapy, are supported with venous ECMO, and we did see in that subgroup of patients a significant reduction in hospital mortality. However, this, as we mentioned, is hypothesis generating. It's going to require confirmation in a randomized controlled trial. The good news is, is that randomized controlled trial is currently underway. So there is an ongoing international multicenter randomized control trial being led by uh, Dr. Alain Combs in Paris called the EOLIA trial, ECMO for severe ARDS. And this study is actually randomizing patients to the early use of venovenous ECMO as compared to best mechanical ventilation in patients with severe ARDS. And we're hopeful that the results of this randomized control trial will clarify the role of ECMO therapy in adult patients with severe RDS. So we're hoping the answer is forthcoming, and we are anxiously awaiting the results of that study. But until then, we can't recommend the routine use of ECMO for ARDS at the present time. So uh, before we get the results of that study, who, who would you put on ECMO? Who, and, and I assume in Toronto it's a regionalized service. So who, who should be sent for initiation? Of ECMO. Do you have any, any recommendations or do we wait for that randomized clinical trial? I think at the present time, of course, the lack of evidence doesn't necessarily represent the lack of efficacy and we consider the use of ECMO therapy like any therapy, which may be life-saving in certain circumstances on a case-by-case basis. I would say that at the present time, our center in Toronto is loosely following the inclusion criteria from the CSER study, the randomized control trial of ECMO therapy that was published in The Lancet a number of years ago, looking at adult patients with a potentially reversible cause of respiratory failure, presenting with severe ARDS, so a PaO2 to FiO2 ratio less than 100, who have been mechanically ventilated with high pressure or high FiO2 ventilation for less than seven days, who don't have a contraindication to limited anticoagulation to be on an extracorporeal circuit and don't have any premorbid or comorbid illnesses that really would adversely affect their prognosis irrespective of how their respiratory failure is treated. So these are the typical kind of patients that we're considering and these would have been the sort of typical kind of patients that were included in the CSER trial until we have more evidence available. We do often include some caveats, again, given some recent data from prognostic scoring systems that have suggested some subpopulations of patients that have very poor prognosis. These might include patients with very low BMI, patients who are immunocompromised, older patients. These are some patients that we give some more serious consideration as to whether or not uh, we would offer ECMO therapy to them. But those are loosely the criteria that we consider, and of course we do that on a case-by-case basis in a collaborative fashion with the referring physician and center. Well, Eddie, I want to thank you and your uh, co-authors, Dr. Munchie, Telesnicki, and Dr. Walke, for putting together uh, a great 
review and meta-analysis and for you for explaining very lucidly the role of ECMO at the present time. And I think we're all anxiously awaiting the results of the international randomized trial. And perhaps we can come back for another podcast after that is published. So uh, once again, have a great evening. This is Dr. Alan Fine for the Annals of the American Thoracic Society.